So Thanksgiving's over. The Cowboys are six and six. <laughs> Gosh. And, and the Advent season is, is upon us. It's here. Uh, Advent season is that period of time as we build up to Christmas. And so uh, you're going to see some things in the worship service today. You're going to be encouraged at the end of the service today to pick up your Advent guide. And Advent is the season of preparation of our hearts to get ready to receive the gift or to remember the gift that we've received in the coming of Jesus. And so it's not, it's not really like the Christmas season right now. It's the Advent season. We are preparing for Christmas Day, which is when we receive the gift of Jesus. Now, there's, there's the right way to receive a gift. Like if you've ever given a gift to a kid and it brought them to tears because they're so excited, they're jumping up and down, and you've seen just the joy in their face because you've picked out that perfect gift, they got it. You have some fond memories of that. But there's also wrong ways to receive a gift. When I was a kid, I lived this out personally. When I received bath towels, I was probably five or six years old, and I opened up my gift, and it was Mickey Mouse bath towels. Why in the world would I want Mickey? Like, number one, I don't care what character it was. It doesn't matter. It's, it's bath towels. But secondly... Mickey Mouse? Like, Mickey Mouse. Like, I look at my kids right now. I've got a four-year-old son, a three-year-old son, and an 18-month-old. And the 18-month-old, I'm like, he may be a little bit old for that. He may be a little bit old for Mickey Mouse. And so I did what all self-respecting children do who receive bad Christmas presents. I received the gift the wrong way. There was a lot of screaming. There was a lot of yelling. But there's the, right way, there's the right way to receive a gift. There's the wrong way to receive a gift, and we know. Now, here's, here's where we're at on it, though. Uh, one of the things that impacts how we receive our gift is the state of our heart as we prepare to receive that gift. There's some things in my nature that make me a very difficult person to buy a gift for. This is the struggle that Shauna has, my wife. She gets so frustrated with me she says all the time, Michael, you are terrible to buy gifts for. You're absolutely terrible to buy gifts for. One of the reasons is I don't even care about presents. It's not really something that moves me. And so that's, that's strike number one on buying me presents. Number two, if it's something I like, I will have bought it anyway. Like if it's within, it's within my budget, I'm going to go ahead and buy it. I don't wait to buy those types of things. Now, when I say I don't wait, I will wait two years for a purchase because I don't like spending money. But when it's time, I'll go buy it. I'll go buy it. And then the third thing is, I'm, I'm a person that gets interested in random things. And so she'll be like, well, you said you liked that. Well, that was two months ago. Like, I'm on, I'm on to what's next. And so I'm a pretty difficult person to buy a gift for, but, but one of the things I've learned is that people are going to buy me gifts. My wife is going to buy me gifts. My kids are going to buy me gifts. The friends and family will buy me gifts. And so I actually have to prepare my heart to receive those gifts with gratitude. In the Advent season, the Advent season gives us an opportunity to prepare our hearts to remember the gift that has been given to us. Now, to prepare our hearts, we, we have a responsibility to ourselves and to those around us to prepare our own hearts to receive gifts. However, the giver of the gift or the person who knows what the gift is, also has a responsibility. And so when we look in this Advent season, it's very interesting that Jesus uh, was ushered in by other people heralding his birth. There were others who went before him to prepare the way for people to receive that gift. And so this, 
This idea is the people who know what the gift is are given the responsibility of preparing the way for the gift to be received. That's a task that we may not all be comfortable with. And so as, as parents, as believers, as we enter into this Advent season, we are tasked with preparing the hearts of those around us to receive the gift of Jesus at Christmas. We, we have this responsibility, this opportunity in our family, in our kids' lives, to be that, that preparation so that when Christmas comes and we have the opportunity to talk about the gift of Jesus, our kids' hearts are ready. Our coworkers' hearts are ready. Our neighbors' hearts are ready. We herald in each year the birth of Jesus. Now, that may be a task that you're not comfortable with. There's a lot of people that just don't feel comfortable with the task of telling others about Jesus. Now, the experience that's common to all of us is we've probably all been asked to do something. We've been given a task that's not in our nature. It's something we're not used to. A couple of months ago, I went fly fishing on the San Juan trip with a group of guys from here at FVG. So in talking with different people on that trip, you know, there's hunters, there's fishermen, there's outdoorsmen. I mean, there are people that own outdoor stores. I think every third guy has a deer lease somewhere out there on the trip. And people are asking, hey, Michael, I mean, like, what, what interests you so much in this? Like, do you like to fish? No, I've never fished. Oh, so you must really like to camp? Nope, never done that. Actually, I went to Cleburne State Park. You been to Cleburne State Park? They have those screened shelters. Uh, and so it's got four wall screens and a light. Like, that was my only camping experience that I've ever done in my life. And so, well, you must love that. It's like, no, no, never, never camped. Are you, like, going outdoors? Like, ah, seasonal allergies are pretty bad, actually. So this cottonwood around us is pretty scary right now. Um, and so there's, there's all these different things. So you must be comfortable enough with what's going on to be out here. And the answer is no. In fact, there's, there's no aspect of what we did on that trip that was common to me. It was all... It was all uncommon. It was all foreign to me. But, but the truth of the matter is, you don't have to be an expert in fly fishing to go out there, put waders on, and stand in the river. You don't have to. And, and in other areas of life, you do not have to be an expert before you partake in that task. But I think we have in our mind that we have to be experts. We have to be proficient. We have to be at the top of the class in whatever task we're assigned before we actually jump in to doing it. And so when we feel unqualified, when we feel unqualified for what we've been asked to do, then part of us says, well, that's not even my task to handle. Now, that never flies in the workplace. Like, a boss never gets to come up to an employee and say, hey, I want you to do this. And the employee says, don't know how, not my problem, not my job. Like, you don't get to say that to your boss. When a boss comes in and says, hey, here's a task for you. I know it may be out of your skill set. You know what good employees do? They do it. And they do everything they can to learn to be proficient at that task. But for some reason, our, our heart, maybe we just don't like to be uncomfortable. Maybe we don't like to feel um, underprepared. For some reason, our tendency when, when we're tasked with things that are uncomfortable, we kind of relegate that to the periphery and say, you know what, somebody else will handle that. That's not really my thing. And so we... We take the important things, and even in our awkwardness, even in not being experts, we jump in because the task is that important. And so if we believe that Jesus is actually the greatest gift of all, 
If we believe that this Advent season is preparing people to receive the greatest gift of all, and one of the tasks that we have is preparing the way for people to receive that gift, then the weight of that task, the weight of that task is heavy enough for us to jump in, even if we're not experts. Even if we don't feel like we have all the answers, even if we're going to go into conversations with people that have more religious education than we do, but they still reject Jesus, even if we go in with less answers than we like, we still jump in because the task is worth it. Even, even if we look at our own lives and say, you know what, I'm not the most Jesus-like person I know. There are better people out there. There are more holy people. There are more righteous people. There are better churchgoers. Whatever you want to look at it, there are better people, more qualified for the task. Therefore, it's there. No, the weight of the task says, I'll jump in. And even if we're afraid, because here's the reality of the day we live in, there's some rejection that can come with talking about Jesus in the workplace. There's rejection that comes with talking about Jesus at school. To, to sit there and say that you need to reorient your life around the creator of all things, the king of kings, the, the son of God, to reorient your life around those things, that, that's not a message that's readily received in the world. And so even if we fear that rejection, it's still a task worth taking. So here's the, the thing. Your, your qualifications, your qualifications for being that message bringer, that message bearer to the world is not based, it's not based on your skill set. It's not based on your personal holiness. It's not even based on whether or not you feel like you have an open door to talk about. Your qualifications are based on your willingness to be faithful to the task at hand. Now, interestingly, uh, Scripture talks about a few different ways that people have been used to bring in the message of Jesus. What students are talking about this morning is John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he proclaimed, One who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John begins to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus' ministry by going around and telling people to repent. Now, repent is not a word that we use in common, common talk today. Now, if you grew up in church, especially the Baptist church, you've probably heard the word repent. It's a very common word in, in Baptist church life. But odds are, if you're in your workplace, if you're at school, if you're in the community, you're not going to hear a lot of people using the word repent. And yet, John goes around saying repent, and he wants to prepare the hearts of the listeners for Jesus by letting them know that the direction their life is going is not in line with where Jesus is going to be going. Repent has all these different connotations of changing direction, changing your path, changing your ways. But what John wanted people to be aware of is that there is a new person coming into this world. Jesus is coming in, and he has a direction for your life. He has a path for you to follow, 
So much so that he's even referred to as the way. There is a way to follow, and it's the way of Jesus. And so you need to understand that the direction of your life is not in line with the direction of where Jesus is going. So John prepares hearts by saying, repent. That's, that's one way. That's one way that the way was prepared. I'd ask this question, how willing are we to address in the lives of our friends, of our family, where our friends' and family's way does not align with where Jesus is going? How willing are we even to look at our own lives and to answer the question, in what ways do I need to repent? I, I would say our ability, our ability to be a message bringer is tied to our willingness to be people who live lives of repentance. To be brutally honest with ourselves about where we are veering from what Jesus has called us to is one of the things that enables us to be effective message bringers about the birth and the life and the ministry of Jesus. <clears throat> I want to jump ahead to Matthew 9. Matthew 9. And he was tw- telling them these things. Suddenly, one of the leaders came and knelt down before him saying, My daughter just died. But come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. For she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be made well. Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter. He said, your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and a crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because this girl is not dead, but asleep. So they laughed at him. Verse 25, after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Then news of this spread throughout that whole area. So Jesus heals this person from a lifelong illness, and the result of that was that people came to find out who Jesus was. And then he goes on and he heals a girl, raises a girl from the dead, uh, because he says she's not dead, he's just, she's just sleeping, and so she gets up. And the end result of that as well is that the word of Jesus spread. See, the reality is the word about Jesus spread not because of some highly trained people taking the message of Jesus into the world. The word of Jesus spread not because of significant um, convictions in their heart about what is right and wrong as a churchgoer or what a good Christian does. The word of Jesus spread not because of some mandate from the pulpit. The word of Jesus spread not because of some internal guilt that they felt about not measuring up to being a good Christian because they've been told to share the gospel. The word of Jesus spread simply because people talked about what Jesus had done. That's it. Ordinary people with ordinary lives simply talked about how Jesus impacted their life. And so as we prepare our hearts, we prepare the way, as we prepare to receive the gift of Jesus... Our task at hand is to simply share what Jesus has done in our lives. And one of the most special things that we do on Wednesday nights, and it's, it's verging on my favorite thing that we do, is that every single Wednesday night, we give the microphone to students to share personal testimonies of what God is doing in their life right now. We're asking them the question, hey, how can we celebrate God's faithfulness in your life? We're not asking about their conversion years ago. We're not asking about something that happened at vacation Bible school as a second grader. 
What we are asking about is right now, in this period of your life, how is God working in your life? Because we want to encourage students, um, number one, to realize that God is active at all times in the lives of believers. And number two, we want to give an opportunity to celebrate God's faithfulness. And so sometimes we get students up here, and I, I want you to know it's unscripted. I don't, I, I don't review or revise anything that students are going to say, and sometimes it's comical when I don't do that. But we want to hear from students, from their heart, in their own words, what God is doing. And every single time they do, I walk away encouraged because I see that in the midst of our group, God is active. He's active in their lives. And all they're telling is their story of how God is active in their lives. There is no coaching. There is no training. We're simply asking students to answer the question, what is God doing in your life? For us to be message bearers, our task is to simply talk about what God is doing in our lives. When we read this interaction of these ordinary people, all they talked about was what God had done in their life, what Jesus had done. He showed up, and he acted, and they talked about it. Verse 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touches then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus warned them sternly, Be sure that no one finds out. I wish we had time to dive into why Jesus would give them that stern warning. I'll simply say this. He gave different admonitions to people so that his ministry in the local area could continue without, here's a word, the kerfuffle of, of people in authority um, getting in the way. Um, sometimes ministry is hindered because there's too big of a crowd. Sometimes when, when things like that occur, ministry can't be done because of, of the noise. And so Jesus says, be sure that no one finds out. But <laughs> despite the fact that Jesus was active in their lives, they went out and spread the news about him throughout that whole area because they couldn't help telling people about what Jesus had done. People saw the gift that Jesus was, and they wanted so badly that, to, to let people know that they just went out and talked about it. Jesus is the gift that we are looking forward to. In this Advent season, I, I want to encourage you as a family to pick up the Advent guide following uh, the worship service today. If you get over there early enough, you might catch it at the end of the first service. If you drag your heels, you can, of course, get it at the end of the 11 o'clock service. But the Advent Guide is, is an opportunity for us individually and then corporately as a church body and then within our families to prepare our hearts to actually make Christmas, the, recip the receiving of the gift of the Savior, a special, meaningful time. And so I want to encourage you with that. But as you think through what your role is in sharing this gift with others, I, I would encourage you in, in a few different areas. Number one is to begin praying for specific people. If, if you feel like you have the responsibility to take the message, the gift of Jesus to others, begin praying for those specific recipients of that message. And so at, at all times, if you don't have this already, I would encourage you to begin a list of people that you are praying for at all times that don't know Jesus. 
That's something that we ask some of our students to do, and I would encourage you, if you're not practicing that, to begin practicing that. Start with immediate family, and go out to extended family, neighbors, coworkers, things like that. Begin that list, begin praying for them. But the good news of Jesus is not spread simply through prayers. It's spread in word. We, we have to be vocal, articulate people when it comes to sharing a message because a message, by its nature, contains words. And so we need to be people that spread not just through prayers but through our conversations. And so for some of us, the idea of speaking uh, just point blank, honest, clear about the message of Jesus at Christmas, that may be daunting for us. And so for some of us, our first step is not having a full-on gospel conversation presentation with that person. For some of us, it's simply bringing up spiritual issues or even to the point of inviting to a place where the message of Jesus will be proclaimed. I guarantee you at our Christmas Eve services on December 23rd, 24th, that the message of Jesus and why we celebrate Christmas will be evident and very clear. And so if you're looking for an opportunity, and especially in this community, an opportunity to bring people into a place where they can hear the message of Jesus, our our Christmas Eve services are kind of that low-hanging fruit that you need to take advantage of. And then finally, if if you're at a loss for words on what to actually say, remember the people whose lives were changed by Jesus did not go out and preach a three-point sermon about the merits of Jesus and salvation. They went around telling their story. Here's what Jesus did in my life. And then later on, when we read the Gospels and the, the, the New Testament epistles, the letters, all we see are people just saying what they had seen and what they had heard over and over again. Very rarely within Scripture do you actually get documented, written out, concise theology that you would anticipate that trained theologians would say. What you see 98% of the time are people walking around basically saying what they saw and what they heard. What they saw and what they heard. And for you, your conversation about Jesus needs to be rooted in the impact that Jesus had in your life. God is not looking for experts. He's not looking for the trained. He's not looking for perfect people. He is looking for people who are willing to share his story and what he has done in their life.